Thank you, Todd and Heidi, for that ministry in music. It's always interesting to know what makes a person tick. What motivates them? What drives them? Why do they do the things that they do? Paul wanted to stress why it was that he was a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that he preached the gospel because he believed the gospel. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you haven't turned there already. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul had contrasted himself with the false apostles. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, he said, For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul is unfolding for us in these initial chapters the difference between himself and these false apostles that had somehow won over the hearts and minds of the Corinthian believers. Paul wants to distinguish himself from these false apostles in a number of areas, and one of them is motivation. He said, we're not like those that peddle the gospel. We're not in this for personal gain. We're not in this for our own benefit. Paul said, why do I preach the gospel? Because I believe the gospel. We believe, therefore we speak. This is a quotation from Psalm 116, verse 10. And in Psalm 116, it's a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance from affliction. In this verse, verse 10 of Psalm 116, the psalmist recounted how he had trusted the Lord, how he had spoken of his afflictions to the Lord. He had done so with the hope that the Lord would answer his prayer and deliver him. The circumstances of David and Paul were quite different. Nevertheless, like the psalmist who maintained faith in the midst of hardship and suffering, so too Paul maintains his faith in the midst of hardship and suffering. Paul speaks, verse 13, having the same spirit of faith as the spirit of David's. Paul probably thought about this psalm because it completed these ideas of faith with complaints of the suffering and death of God's servants. For instance, in Psalm 116, verse 3, it reads, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Similarly, Psalm 116:15 proclaims, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 
Paul had just written that he had been persecuted and had despaired that death worked in him. If you look at the context in 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Still, Paul's faith remained strong. Under these conditions, he identified with the psalmist. Thus, Paul quoted the psalmist's assertion of faith, implying that he spoke with that very same kind of faith. The same spirit of faith. The same attitude of faith. The same response produced by faith. Faith works the same in all peoples at all times. Faith produces confidence. Faith produces trust. Faith produces allegiance. This truth is applicable to all generations and all situations of those who sincerely speak for Christ. People believe, therefore they speak. It is because Paul came to believe some very specific things that he speaks. Belief is always what should motivate the child of God to be speaking the Word of God. One of the frustrations I've had over the years in ministry is that people who don't know me very well will sometimes say to me, you have to speak of faith in Christ. You're a pastor. That's your job. That's what you do. As though that's what my motivation is. Because you're a pastor, you speak faith in Christ. I try to assure them that I don't speak about faith in Christ because I'm a pastor. I became a pastor because of my faith in Christ. It's the horse before the cart. The faith first. And then the speaking. It's the commitment to the body of truth. And therefore, we can't be silent. We need to proclaim. Paul said very simply, I believe, therefore I speak. This is about the simplest message that you're ever going to hear. Uh, from me this morning, we're going to look at just three verses, and we're going to look at this thought that we speak because we believe. Paul is saying that the explanation for his speaking about Christ is his belief in Christ. It's that simple. His faith was not feigned, but real, active, controlling, and empowering. So what in particular did Paul believe that caused him to speak. Three things from this text. First, Paul believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. And I be because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from his dead. If you have an NIV, you'll notice that they translate verse 13 and verse 14 as one sentence. And they take the participial phrase that begins verse 14 and make it a causal statement. In other words, it's an explanation of verse 13. 
I believe, therefore, I've spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. He speaks because he believes that Jesus rose from the dead. In the NAS, it maintains the participial construction and says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus. That would be the most literal translation. The difference in thought is not purpose, but in the NAS, the, the, the emphasis is on the continual nature of the thought process. Not just that he knew in time past that Jesus rose from the dead, but it transformed Paul's life. It's ever before him. It's ever a reality to Paul. Everything that Paul does is contingent upon his awareness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can't get it out of his mind. He's consumed with that thought. He is totally sold out to the idea that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead. Now, Paul had that incredible advantage over us in that he was able actually to see the resurrected Lord. He had numerous visions from the resurrected Lord. We find out in 2 Corinthians that either he had a vision of heaven or, or was caught up into the very presence of heaven. He had some incredible experiences. But Paul said it's the reality of those experiences that motivate me. That's why I speak. I speak because I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And not only does he know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but Paul believed that because Jesus rose from the dead, that Paul too would rise from the dead. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Paul's belief, his confidence in the resurrection, enabled him to continue to preach even though his life was in danger. Paul said, not only has Jesus risen, but I will rise too. And knowing that he is going to rise, it certainly took away the fear and the anxiety that was associated with dying for his faith. Paul is going to write later in Corinthians, I die daily. I die daily. He talks about how often his life was on the line. What enables him to continue to go on preaching and teaching the Word of God under those kinds of circumstances? Paul says, knowing that not only is Jesus risen from the dead, but he is going to raise us also. He is going to raise us also with Jesus. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is renewed day by day. Now this is really, in many ways, one thought. But I had so much in these last few verses that I decided to break this into to two weeks. So tonight, today's sermon is actually a little shorter than normal. It was either that or a lot longer than normal. And I thought a little shorter 
than normal would probably go over a little better than a lot longer than normal. But here we see that there is a direct relationship, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, speaking of this physical body, speaking of it in a temporary fashion, knowing that it's going to return to the grave. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about a resurrected body. He's talking about the fact that he is going to live with God eternally. He says, therefore, knowing this, he doesn't lose heart. He says, yes, the outward body is decaying. I'm getting weaker. I'm feeling the effects of this persecution, of all the beatings, of all the traumatization. But inwardly, I'm being renewed. Inwardly, I'm being refreshed. Inwardly, I am discovering the fountain of youth. Because I know, I know that there's going to be a resurrection. I know I'm going to be in the presence of God. I know. Not only did Paul know that he was going to rise from the dead, but Paul believed that because he would rise from the dead, he was going to have to give an account before God. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. The word present has this connotation of accountability. It's to stand before an individual. To give an account. Paul wanted to be found faithful and thus pleasing to God at the judgment. He knew that Jesus rose. He knew that he would rise. And in that resurrection, he knew that he was going to have to give an account for the life that he lived, for the ministry he performed, for the manner in which he conducted himself. So if you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9, just to show you how this all flows in the context, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore, on account of that knowledge, therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, meaning whether in this life or the life to come, whether in this body or out of this body, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in his body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences. It was this desire to be found pleasing of God that motivated Paul to speak. He believed. He believed that Jesus rose. He believed that he would rise. He believed that he was going to stand in the presence of God. And believing that, he spoke. Because he wanted to please God. Paul realized the implication of the resurrection for himself and others. All would have to be ready to stand before God. Second thing, Paul preached the gospel 
Because Paul believed that through his ministry, people would be saved. Paul preached the gospel, or spoke, if you will, because he believed that through his ministry, other people would be saved. Notice verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. All things are for your sakes. Paul endured hardship and affliction, continuing to preach the gospel so that the Corinthians would be saved. The all things refers to the hardships, the difficulties, the anguish that Paul was encountering. He persevered through these things so that the, Christian, the Corinthians would be saved. Notice 2 Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Now notice verse 11, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 11. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Paul said we're constantly being placed in the danger of death. We are constantly finding our life on the line so that you would have life. So that you would experience this forgiveness of sins. That you might benefit from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand. And we need to understand beyond the shadow of a doubt. That we must preach the gospel. If people are going to be saved. We must speak. If people are going to come to a place of repentance. We must take the good news. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. To others. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach without being sent? There is a responsibility. That's placed upon us. As a people of God. To speak the gospel for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow, in some circles, the doctrine of election has been understood or construed in such a way that people get the false impression, keyword false impression, that somehow, because they are elect, they're just going to be saved regardless of what we do. That there's no responsibility on our part. That we play no role in a person's conversion. That is simply false. That's not right. That God not only decreed the ends, that is the salvation of a people, but he also declared the means. That is through the preaching of the gospel. It would be just as ludicrous to say, well, if God is going to save people, then Jesus never had to die on the cross. No. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross because that is the means by which he was going to bring about justification. That's the way in which he was going to bring about the forgiveness of sins. Yes, Jesus had to die on the cross. We must preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. This is a good passage to 
right in the front of your Bible or something, when you encounter people and they start talking to you about election, and, and then that means that we don't have to witness, we don't have to pray, and all that stuff that you hear. So, Corinthians, I'm going to start with verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was risen from the dead. Or NAS, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. So, again, it starts with the resurrection. Verse 9, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment, as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things. So Paul says, I'm even in prison. Why do I do that? Look at verse 10. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are the chosen. Because of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul says, I endure these things so that the elect will be saved. The clear implication that Paul isn't willing to endure these things, the elect won't be saved. It's, a, it's one of those conundrums. It's one of those mysteries. But the point is, Paul is faithful. Paul continues on. If people are going to be saved, we need to speak. It's as simple as that. We have to declare the gospel to individuals. And so it comes down to a matter that is very, very real and applicable. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Our willingness to speak really does come down to what we believe. I believe, therefore I speak, Paul says. He believed in the resurrection. He believed that he was going to arise. He believed that everyone was going to have to give an account before God. It motivated him. He believed that through the preaching of the gospel, the people were going to be saved. Here is a mystery. Again, but God determined not only the, the, the ends, but the means. Acts 18.9 The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you or harm you, for I have many people in this city. Let me ask you, quite frankly, and I ask myself, I'm not just putting you on the spot, but do you believe in the power of the gospel? Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because that's where the power is. It's through the gospel that, that God works. It's through the gospel that people are, are going to be saved. And I personally think that one of the greatest hindrances to our sharing the faith is a lack of belief or trust that if I do that, somebody's really going to be converted. That in this godless society and world, 
How are we ever going to talk somebody into professing faith in Jesus Christ? The whole passage is, we're incapable of it. We spent weeks on, we are inadequate for these things. We are insufficient for these things. We can't do these things. But that doesn't mean it's hopeless. That doesn't mean that we're powerless. That just means we don't trust ourselves. We trust the gospel. And we don't adulterate it. We don't change it. We don't peddle it, as in chapter 2. But we stay faithful to it. And if we proclaim God's truth, He will bring people to Himself. Paul believed that. And it was a motivation for him to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, people will be saved. People will be saved. We have this outreach coming up on May 19th. Do you think anybody's going to be saved? If we are faithful in sharing the gospel, does that mean every time we share the gospel? No, but we can have the anticipation. You know, I I was just thinking, I, I, I noticed, maybe you did too, as you were driving around, there are three churches having community fun days on May 19th. Us, Lebanon Valley Bible, and I didn't catch who the third one was. All on May 19th. Lebanon Valley Bible is doing it at their, at their facility. And, of course, we're doing it in Avon. You know, and I looked at that, and in some ways, I'm a perennial optimist. But I looked at that and I said, you know, the Lord is saturating. Lebanon on that day with the gospel. I have to believe that God is in that. I was not chagrined. I was not disappointed. I was pretty happy. We're in different parts of town. We're going to reach different people. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for us to speak to individuals, and they will. Maybe it's just God's moving his people to be very concerned that those who do not know Christ will hear about Christ. If we believe, we'll speak. That's the thought of the Apostle Paul. Thirdly, Paul spoke or preached the gospel because it would bring honor and glory to God. Notice verse 15. For all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Paul was not just anthropocentric or or man-centered in his preaching of the gospel. He was theocentric. He was God-centered in his preaching of the gospel. Paul was not just concerned about a people going to a Christless humanity. He obviously was. That was the second point. But there was also even a higher purpose for the Apostle Paul, and that is the honor and glory of God. He saw that God was to be worshipped. That God was to be praised. And unfortunately, fallen mankind does not praise God. Does not worship God. Romans chapter 1, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart became darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 
and change the glory of God into an image made like corruptible man and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Our world does not honor God. Paul wanted to honor and glorify God. It began with himself and being concerned that when he stood before God, that he would be found pleasing. That God would find his work acceptable. And that so overrode in Paul's thinking that he didn't care about what the Corinthians thought. That he didn't care about how people perceived him. It didn't bother him that, that they questioned his apostleship or his authority because he made it very clear that he wasn't interested in pleasing them. He was interested in pleasing God. And because he cared more about what God thought than what about people thought, it motivated him to speak. He spoke because he believed. For Paul, the gospel was a way of bringing honor and glory to God. Not only, not only in its end of people being saved, but even in the manner in which it was done. You see, we're coming to a conclusion of these first three chapters of, of Corinthians, and it's easy to forget where we've come from. But, but Paul painstakingly demonstrated how that we have this treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels, weak, so that honor and glory would be brought to God when people would be converted. We were given a message that Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the uh, Jews as a stumbling block and to the Greeks as foolishness. But unto them who are saved, it is the power of God and the glory of God. Paul preached in such a way as to glorify God. His endurance glorified God. His message glorified God. And his converts brought honor and glory to God. While Paul surely desired people to be saved, the gospel did not end there. And his purpose did not end there. That's why Paul conducted himself as he did for the entire salvific process. From his very commencement to its consummation, Paul wanted to see God honored and glorified. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn that we're going to use in closing. Charles Wesley lived from 1707 to 1788. And during that time, Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns, including... Christ the Lord has risen today. Hark the herald angels sing and so many other popular ones. But over 6,000 hymns he wrote. One of his most famous was written in 1749. It was written on the anniversary of his conversion. He was converted in 1739. Placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, he originally titled this hymn, The 11th Anniversary of My Conversion. This hymn originally had 14 stanzas. We don't have 14 stanzas anymore. But we have some of the more popular stanzas in which he said, 
Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King. The triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of thy name. When Wesley was inviting and, and wishing and desiring for a thousand tongues to praise God, he wasn't asking for himself a thousand tongues. He was asking for a thousand converts. Assist me to proclaim. Bring a horde with me. Together may we lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be exalted and praised. May God give us a great number to bow before him and to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior to his honor and glory. Let us pray. Our Father, help us to believe and therefore speak. Create within us a greater faith. Lord, help us even to be honest before you. And though we may feel as though we need boldness, maybe what we really need is more faith. O oh Lord, teach us. Grant to us faith. Help us to pray for that faith. And Lord, may we act on what we believe. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We